the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Hi folks, well greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, where what I believe is episode 432. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Now, on this episode, we're mixing it up a little bit. Uh, you'll hear a bit from me, and you're going to hear from uh, some special guests as well. Uh, Mahmood Hikmet of uh, Omeo, uh, the self-driving uh, vehicle folks, uh, the local ones here in New Zealand. Uh, Colin Brown from Spark, around their 5G. Uh, and uh, Dee West is joining me for uh, for that. Uh, th- well, those those two discussions actually. And and Dee uh, is of course co-host of the Electric Vehicle Podcast, which uh, many of you remember as the New Zealand Electric Vehicle Podcast. Uh, well, this week everything changes, and that becomes a global uh, show. And uh, you'll be able to start finding that online very soon at evpodcast.com. So uh, so that's a little bit of a, an overview. We're going to talk today a bit about uh, Apple and a bit about Huawei. Uh, and a, a little on uh, last week's uh, events as, as well, um, well, the l- l- last couple of weeks of uh, events and how uh, um, some of our, uh, so, or some of the social media uh, companies have been a bit in the spotlight around uh, how uh, video and other content has been uh, floating, floating around and maybe, uh, uh, maybe a lot more than it, than it should. Uh, so there's a lot, a lot coming up. At, of course, Apple's announcements uh, uh, this week in the US, and then uh, Huawei announcing their uh, latest flagship phone. Um, but then we dive into uh, some, some discussion uh, about Omeo and uh, and their work uh, locally. And you know, I'm certainly very interested in in terms of how a, a small local outfit uh, can have a place in this world of um, or upcoming world of, of self-driving uh, vehicles and uh, and how they can uh, can uh, find a niche. Uh, so they don't get uh, they don't get knocked off by the big uh, global players. So that's uh, that's an interesting one, and a couple of fascinating fascinating uh, insights came through uh, from the chat also with Colin Brown of uh, of Spark. So uh, the bit there uh, in regards to Omeo and, and Spark was uh, was recorded. Um, a week or, or or so back at, uh, uh, at a special event that, that they they had. Uh, so let's uh, let's jump jump right in. Um, first of all, I want to talk around um, this coverage that the the, the mainstream media uh, have been uh, have been you know putting out there. And of course, there's lots of people been commenting on this, but it's uh, you know around the uh, this crazy video uh, that was was live streamed of the um, the Christchurch mosque shooting and look there are a couple of perspectives that I that I want to touch on um, some of you may have seen me talking about this on um, uh, breakfast TV on on, uh, on Monday um, but I thought it important to, uh, to to cover it here on the on the show as well and it seemed to me there's, there's there's two things that have been missing here in the coverage so you know most of the coverage is really uh, slamming Facebook and, and I've seen people on, on on varying social platforms Twitter and so on uh, doing the same and of course it's not just uh, Facebook. We've heard responses from Microsoft, and um, yeah, other people have been commenting on on how this terrible uh, video, absolutely, you know, shocking. I'm sure I haven't seen it. Um, but from you know what I know about it, this is not the sort of uh, the sort of stuff that we want uh, spreading online. Uh, you know how that has uh, how how it spread so quickly. And Facebook said within the first twenty four hours uh, there was an attempt to upload it one point five million times. Now they seem to catch uh, somewhere around sort of eighty to ninety uh, um, percent of those and stop them. Um, you know, actually, actually uh, getting online, but uh, the the rest they didn't, and so you know, Facebook have been you know really heavily criticised for this, and I think you know to a to a degree that's that's fair. I'm absolutely sure that they could have done better, and now this is in the spotlight. Um, I'm 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 convinced that they will be working very very hard to uh, to improve. But I think that one of the points we miss is that AI maybe isn't as good as we expect it to be. Uh, so I think 
And, and in fact, uh, over the weekend, I was doing a, a, a little bit of testing as I was sort of researching for, um, for my chat on TV on that one. And uh, I used a, a service which uh, some of you will be uh, will be familiar with. Um, the Microsoft um, launched it some some years ago, so I'm not sure that it's drawing on the very uh, latest and greatest of um, of Microsoft's AI. Uh, but it's a service where you can basically upload a, upload a photo to, and the AI will uh, will you know say whether you're male or, or female. Uh, in its opinion, and what your um, age is. Now, this was just an interesting example to me of how um, AI, artificial intelligence systems, still have a long way to go. Um, now, what happened was when I when I tried this, I took a simple selfie from uh, from the iPhone I was uh, I was using at the time. And now the only sort of unusual thing about this photo was there was a little bit of reflection in my glasses of uh, of the screen of the phone. Uh, but when this was uploaded, the AI came back and said it did not see a person in the photo. Now I've shown this photo to a whole bunch of people and it's very obvious in that photo that it's a person uh the you know it's 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 incredibly clear the only thing i can think that might have thrown the ai off was that uh the screen reflection in in one case was sort of overlapping uh part of my eye which um you know i can imagine it's kind of looking to see uh to see the iris but all the other parts of my face were 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 incredibly uh, incredibly clear yet the ai failed to detect that there was even a person uh, in the in the video, so you know, I guess that's it's just my my point there is that we 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 expect the AI systems and and the technology to be perfect, but they they just can't be yet. And look, you know, we're many decades into uh, uh, the development of of AI systems. I think they started out in the 1950s and there just wasn't obviously uh, too much processing power at that stage to do anything that, that you know really lines up with what we think of as uh, artificial intelligence today. Uh, but even where we are today, there's still, uh, there's still a long way to go. Though I think it's fair to say we, we expect the likes of uh, Facebook that are, that are allowing live streaming and allowing content to be shared so easily to, um, you know, to be at the forefront of, of using this technology. Now the other thing I wanted to raise is um, you know, how much blame can we put on the likes of Facebook or Twitter, uh, YouTube and so on when in this case it seemed like people weren't actually really reporting that this, uh, that this video shouldn't have been online at all and you would imagine uh, it's probably appropriate for anybody watching that video within just a few seconds that they should have reported uh, that back but apparently it took quite some time uh, for the video to be, uh, to be reported back uh, to certainly uh, Facebook in, in their case. So enough on uh, enough on that one. Let's jump into uh, Apple's Showtime uh, event that's uh, taken taken place uh, this week. Um, so it's quite an interesting um, series of announcements because they're you know, reasonably light on uh, on facts, and uh, you know certainly the 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 the, um, the the questions that were had of me of you know what's the service going to cost and and other things that got fired at me um, by media this week. Um, well, look, you know, no, nobody, uh, nobody knows in in most cases. So the the announcements uh, uh, that were made were around uh, Apple Apple News, this sort of um, magazine uh, style sub- subscription from Apple. Uh, we'll come back to that. Uh, Apple uh, Card, which is a, a credit card, sort of an extension of, um, of of Apple Pay, but Apple's own credit card. Apple TV, which seems to be uh, you know the big one that people are, are, are focusing on from an entertainment. Uh, perspective because it's it's going to be of really broad uh, broad interest I'm I'm sure um, certainly that's the that's I'm sure Apple's uh, Apple's hope and then uh, Apple Arcade which is their gaming subscription service so uh, look one thing to be aware of is we we're not exactly sure. Um, what services are coming to uh, New Zealand and the and the timing? We've got there's certainly some some details, but we don't uh, uh, we don't have Apple uh, Apple News here uh, at the moment. For instance, the Apple Card looks like a uh, a, a US only 
uh, type offering at this stage. The Apple TV Plus and uh, Apple Arcade, those do look like they're uh, they're coming uh, to New Zealand. Uh, so um, um, we'll we'll probably skip through the other two reasonably quickly. But uh, Apple News, ten US dollars a month, uh, a curated news service from Apple. Uh, basically, they've got partnerships with about three hundred print magazines uh, and also Wall Street Journal and uh, LA Times. Uh, and then they'll just basically be packaging that all up, and you know, I guess you could uh, think of it like a, a Netflix or, or Spotify type service for um, you know news and, and magazine uh, type uh, reading uh, material. So uh, yeah, not not so easy to uh, to get though if you're in New Zealand. Then the Apple Card. Uh, this this seems very uh, very smart of Apple to uh, to to get in there and um, and you know start offering. Uh, a broader payment capability with their own uh, credit card, the sort of reach that they have, uh, the simplicity that they're uh, they're talking about offering. Uh, it it looks pretty slick, actually. I've, I've you know I've got to say uh, they're, they're talking about a credit card that you'll get an actual physical card, but it won't have a, a number on it. But you can uh, you know swipe it uh, through a through a machine in a you know supermarket and so on. Uh, of course, you will be able to use it through. Um, Apple Pay in the traditional way, tap your phone or uh, Apple Watch on a, on a terminal uh, and for online and, and app-based uh, purchases. And then you'll be able to get a, a, a sort of virtual uh, credit card number um, through, the, uh, through the app, through the uh, Apple Pay um, app, I think, there. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. I'm kind of curious about how it will work in terms of generating new credit card numbers, you know, whether you can keep a whole a, a stack of uh, credit card numbers live and give a different credit card number uh, to a, a different vendor or store. So if your card ever was compromised, you, you know, you know who's compromised it. Um, it does look as though you can generate a new card uh, or a new number uh, every time. So, uh, yeah, I'm just a, l- a little bit curious how those work in terms of cutting off the different numbers. Um, but it does it does look like there will be uh, there'll be some sort of uptake of of that uh, amongst Apple fans uh, in the in the US. It's, it seems uh, natural and it seems like uh, quite a uh, quite a slick offering. They're doing it in partnership with Goldman Sachs and uh, Mastercard. Right now on to uh, Apple TV, and this is the one that you know I guess lines up with a lot of discussions we've had on the uh, on the podcast and in recent years around uh, uh, streaming services and TV and and entertainment. And seeing Apple come into the space, I mean, it's something we've been expecting for uh, for quite some time. There've been varying leaks on this, and we know Apple's been out there trying to uh, to buy up uh, partnerships and, and content and and so on. They're saying Apple TV Plus is going to launch in a hundred. Uh, plus countries, uh, the streaming service is expected in uh, in spring in in New Zealand. I think their app uh, update and maybe some of the capabilities uh, arriving in the US uh, around uh, May. And uh, th- this new uh, Apple TV app, it's going to be across uh, certainly the very newest uh, TVs from uh, Samsung and then rolling out to uh, uh, Sony and uh, and LG. And it'll be on uh, Roku devices, which um, you know I know some of our listeners uh, have, uh, but reasonably uncommon in New Zealand because they're not uh, they're not sold uh, directly into the New Zealand market. Although uh, actually very very handy uh, handy little um, mini set top box that you can pick up for around thirty US dollars as a as a starting uh, price, and uh, Netflix and YouTube and all sorts of other uh, apps available on the uh, on the Roku. Uh, thoroughly recommended. Uh, Apple TV, uh, naturally, Amazon uh, Fire uh, TV, TV Stick, and and so on. Uh, I don't know um, whether well, there's probably no reason that wouldn't be available on the version, the international version of the Apple Fire TV uh, Stick, which you can uh, actually get uh, in New Zealand. Um, so yeah, looks like Apple are, are sort of really offering their own um, service that's going to work on a, some sort of channel type basis. So they're talking about Apple TV channels, all ad free, and you'll apparently only pay for uh, for the ones you're interested in. Uh, so you don't have to pay for uh, um, 
I guess, content you're not interested in and there'll be kids' content and docos and uh, movies and, and, and TV by the, uh, by, by the looks of it. And, you know, of course, at the event they had uh, uh, lots of uh, celebrities and, uh, you know, film and, film and TV uh, stars to, uh, uh, to really sort of show off that they've got the, uh, um, the best people in the industry involved. So I guess we, we will see how that actually goes. I don't think uh, from, from what I'm hearing that Apple will be spending anywhere near uh, what the likes of uh, Netflix uh, invest in their content, um, but of course we know uh, Apple have have plenty of money uh, in the bank. In fact, they've got enough. They could probably go out and uh, and actually buy uh, Netflix should they uh, should they wish to. So this will be a very interesting one to watch. Um, but their their overall offering aims to actually bring together a range of existing services as well as adding their own content in and trying to make it very simple. Now you know there have been um, uh, you know varying ways on on different platforms to search across. Uh, other apps, but this will bring the content from those uh, apps, from what I can tell, uh, directly into the uh, the the Apple uh, TV Plus uh, platform. Uh, so you'll be able to see those Apple TV channels that you might subscribe to, uh, uh, film and TV that you've bought through uh, through the iTunes uh, store. Uh, Hulu uh, content or Hulu Plus, not so relevant to New Zealand, but I, I know there's uh, some of us who subscribe to that. Uh, Amazon uh, Prime uh, Video, uh, HBO, which um, this is an interesting one because in in the US at least, uh, you can buy Amazon Prime and then stack on extra things such as HBO uh, and Showtime, and it seems as though Apple have done a uh, similar uh, deal, so they're stacking on uh, as well as Amazon Prime options for the likes of HBO and and Showtime, uh, ESPN Plus, uh, and they've also mentioned uh, cable and satellite TV integration. So I'm not exactly sure how that will work, uh, but no doubt we will uh, we'll, we'll we will find closer to the time. So uh, maybe this the, the 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 app doesn't play at all directly, but sort of fires you off into other areas if you're. Uh, uh, if you've got a uh, cable or satellite TV box uh, plugged into your uh, your TV, for instance, so that that um, you know they're pretty light on the information, and there, there's a lot of debate already around you know what this thing will cost. Is it six dollars US? Is it twenty dollars US? Kind of kind of hard to to know. And as they said, they're going to slice and slice and dice it up, so you don't have to uh, subscribe to everything as well. Uh, so yes, that will be an interesting one to uh, to know. Uh, lots of lots of gaps basically. And now on to Apple uh, Apple Arcade. Well, this is a game subscription service. It's going to be across iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, and the Mac. So really, you know, Apple putting uh, um, you know this this service on all their all their devices. Well, virtually all, not on the uh, the the Apple Watch. Uh, from what I can tell, I'm not sure that'll be much good for gaming. Uh, their monthly fee will apparently include over a, a, a hundred uh, hundred games, and they're talking about there being no adverts uh, and and no additional purchases needed. So I'm I'm not quite sure what they mean by n- no additional purchases needed. Uh, whether some games you will be able to do sort of in-game purchases at all, or whether that'll be blocked. Uh, imagine Apple probably. Uh, reasonably, reasonably keen uh, for people to spend more money. So we'll see. Um, and I think that will be here in um, springtime in New Zealand. Now on to uh, new gadgetry. Before we get into the uh, the other interviews, uh, the Huawei P20 Pro has landed uh, around around the world. Uh, launch event in uh, in Paris this week, and launch events elsewhere, including uh, uh, here in Auckland for. Uh, uh, media and 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 other folk. Um, now this is an interesting one because it's sort of be- become clear to in in, in my view that uh, uh, Huawei really have two flagship sort of phones that, that you know coming into the market. And they've been doing this for a while, but the uh, the P series you know to a, always sort of sat back a bit from the uh, their their mate series in terms of just how uh, how powerful. Uh, it was, but it, you know, it seems now that the uh, this latest uh, P twenty, uh, sorry, P thirty Pro that they've uh, um, uh, launched this week uh, is is a little bit of a step up on the uh, uh, the Mate uh, twenty Pro. It seems to really you know pick up um, all all the features of you know their last flagship from you know only a few months ago. 
uh, and then added a little bit to that as well. Uh, the main thing that stands out for me is is they have cameras, and that seems to be really where uh, Huawei have been uh, been you know working hard to compete and to uh, to differentiate. And they're talking about having four cameras on the on the back. Uh, of the phone now, one of those is um, more, you know, I would see it more as a as a sensor uh, for for getting uh, for getting depth information rather than actually taking uh, taking photos. Um, but from the testing I've done already, very impressive uh, in terms of photos. They're highlighting really two aspects um, as as being. Um, somewhat, somewhat unique here. Um, firstly, their ability to work in uh, in low light um, for video and photos, and some of the f- the samples they showed us look pretty good. Uh, and then the other thing was is uh, around what they're calling a five times optical and ten times hybrid zoom capability. Now, what I've seen so far is good, but it's worth noting that you know. As, as usual with uh, new technology and uh, uh, you know claims from a manufacturer, there are some uh, some caveats. So it's, it's just worth being aware if you're thinking you're going to be able to do a ten times uh, hybrid zoom in a dark location and it's, you're going to get all the low light benefits. Then um, you know from what I can tell, it's that's just not the case. Um, but when I did use the um, the the zoom and I did a zoom at uh, at at uh, five times and ten times, I compared against uh, Samsung uh, and uh, and Apple devices, and uh, yeah, it's fair to say that uh, the the new uh, Huawei uh, P30 Pro uh, delivers the best zoom I've I've seen. Um, on any of the mainstream uh, phones, and of course there there have been some you know other variation sort of phones out there in the past where there's actually a big uh, a big lens that uh, you know you can you can uh, uh, or an add-on sort of lens you can uh, attach to a phone, uh, or have there been combined phone uh, cameras? But in terms of a, uh, a phone that you can slide into your pocket, it seems like uh, Huawei are winning on that uh, on that zoom front. Um, not necessarily what everyone's looking for, but I certainly find it uh, pretty pretty handy having uh, uh, you know the better and better uh, camera capabilities uh, in my pocket. And part of the way they they do it is a sort of periscope type um, you know capability. So you know the uh, the, the the camera would be um, too deep. This uh, what they're calling a five times uh, optical zoom uh, camera. So um, it's actually sort of bent um, with a, a mirror. Uh, or a prism, uh, I think probably a mirror um, inside the camera in order to uh, um, in order to make that work. So um, yeah, it's it's it's, um, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, worth noting though, a ten times zoom on the Huawei is not as zoomed in as a ten times zoom um, on some of the other phones. So definitely notice a reasonably big difference between the ten times zoom on the iPhone ten uh, X. Um, the 10s Max uh, compared to the Huawei, um, so I would sort of call their their five times zoom maybe a, a 3.5 to to four times zoom. Certainly, if you're comparing it with a, a 35 millimeter camera, then um, it's about 3.5 uh, times in those regards. But uh, as I say, still seems to be um, the best in the in the market from that zoom perspective. Uh, and uh, look, we, we're just getting better and better results in uh, in low light across a range of uh, uh, phones. And um, yeah, look, looks like uh, you know Huawei have done some um, some some nice new things there as well. So uh, yeah, well well worth uh, looking at for those who are um, on on the lookout for a new um, you know top end uh, Android handset. Now. Um, on to our other interviews. So um, without further ado, uh, let's jump in and uh, hear from uh, Mahmood Hikmet. I'm uh, Mahmood Hikmet, or recently Dr. Mahmood Hikmet. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. It was a, a long, grueling ordeal to, to get those two letters, <laughs> but finally got them. Uh, so uh, I'm the head of uh, research and development at uh, Omeo, or our legal name is Omeo Automotion. Uh, uh, we are a New Zealand-based manufacturer of autonomous vehicles. Manufacturer, designer, researcher. It's, it's hard to just stick one of those labels on there. So a little bit of everything. Um, basically, we're building autonomous vehicles, um, and we're based in New Zealand. That's exciting. Now, what I'm interested to understand to start with is 
where do you fit in this sort of global world of autonomy? There's a lot of firms uh, that are developing autonomous vehicles of various types. Uh, some of them with you know huge uh, yep. funding behind them, mm-hmm. uh, and you know thousands of people. Some of them are more on the smaller scale, targeting particular niches. Yep. And it seems like you're you know you're very much taking that niche niche approach. So I'm, I'm interested to understand what are those niches and how do you expect those will expand over the next sort of so, decade? Right. Very good question. Uh, we've so there's there's no way that we could outtech or outspend or outfund big companies like Google, for example. They're as far as building an autonomous vehicle, they're going to be right up there with producing something much faster, uh, faster than us, with access to hundreds of our hundred, thousands of our, I think almost million, almost millions. They're almost at the million mark um, of of hours of of um, driving footage, and all that data is super important. Uh, what they're trying to do, though, is more of a general solution. So they're interested in creating a solution that they can roll out in as many places as possible uh, right from the beginning. And that's what you see in, in things like their, their map technology and all of that. It's all stuff that rolls out on a massive scale. What we're, do- what we're looking at is at a niche so our niche is first, last, and only mile of transportation. So how do you get from your house to the train station, for example? You take the train across town, and then how do you get from your final destination to from the train station to your final destination? So a big barrier to people taking public transport is that first, first and last mile. Um, and then they have to use things like park and rides, which no one really likes, and they're always clogged, and they have way more demand um, than they can than they can actually supply. So this, these will work sort of as feeder buses into into the into the public transport sphere. Uh, as far as private roads go, which is also uh, one of the niches that we're heavily concentrating on, is introducing transport networks to closed environments. So things like airports, and we've got a close relationship with Christchurch Airport, um, where we'll be rolling out uh, vehicles within their own road network uh, as well as things like theme parks retirement villages um, camp uh, college campuses places where they've got their own road network and they just like to take people around it that's fantastic but you've just answered like three of my questions <laughs> i'm can, very efficient you are very efficient um uh, yeah so um uh, we had a conversation in the car about uh the relationship between the customer and the public and this technology yep. um and uh so how are you bridging that gap how are you making this not scary for people so we uh we've worked closely with um Canterbury University mm-hmm. based in Christchurch with our trials at uh, Christchurch Airport they've been able to have access to people riding autonomous vehicles particularly people riding autonomous vehicles for the first time mm. and what we found is that the acceptance of people after they've had their first ride is is pretty high yeah it's it's when autonomous vehicles are unknowns and they're seen in the they're seen in the news uh, when an accident happens or something like that that's the view that most people have mm. whereas when people ride one of the shuttles that we've got it's not which, scary at all not at all it works <laughs> like a like a tram an mm. autonomous tram that works on virtual tracks mm-hmm. so rather than building infrastructure in the ground that uh, that the track that the train physically follows it's it's got rubber wheels but it uses the GPS to make sure that it's on the right place um, so that's not a huge leap in terms of reality mm. uh, once you've made that leap then you can very easily see where that vehicle will play a role in your life and it's by no means as technically complex as uh, what what Google or or Tesla or Uber are trying to do. Um, so we've limited the scope of what we're doing. Uh, we work on a fixed route uh, that we've predetermined. Um, we have branches off of that route, so we can say that take a left rather than a right this time around to service demand, very much like a tram. So there's a lot of parallels there. Um, but that allows us to deliver a solution as a small to medium enterprise uh, rather than having to compete with a much larger company. 
And what sort of interest are you seeing out there? Because we're you know we're dealing with a technology that's very new. Uh, you know, it gets a lot of coverage in the media mm-hmm. when when things happen for, yep. on an autonomous basis. Um, but I think we're as new technologies come forward, often we're not quite clear what they're going to be used for or how they're going to be relevant. Exactly. And a lot of businesses and organisations don't tend to. See at the forefront of technology uh-huh. so I'm kind of curious you know who is it that's showing interest obviously you've got uh, Christchurch International Airport as uh, as one yep. um, but who are those other types of entities and, and organizations that are that are clicking where you know you're, you're seeing that this is going to be a going to be a fit before I answer that um, I want to talk about how we're building our vehicles as sort of an autonomous platform so we we see our vehicles not as vehicles or shuttles that we're that we're sending out. We see them as a, a plat, an autonomous platform, and one of the manifest, manifestations of that platform is a passenger shuttle. Uh, but we've built it in a modular modular way uh, with an open interface, which allows us to integrate with uh, different manufacturers of different things. So, like maybe new ticketing systems or um, just uh, maybe someone builds a new localization method that we want to make use of. But it also opens us up to new applications for the autonomous vehicles. So maybe someone wants a security vehicle that makes a patrol around a, a perimeter recording what happens. Uh, they'll, they're able to use our autonomous vehicle platform in order to uh, rejig it so that rather than transporting passengers, it makes routes, it, it, does, those, it does those security walks, uh, more or less. So we, we don't... We don't like to assume how people will use autonomous vehicles going into the future. But you want to be ready for lots of possible permutations. Exactly. Okay. So people are going to use it in ways that we haven't thought of yet. Absolutely. So, Mahmoud, you actually um, got a, got us to a great place because the question that we have, and we'd love a clear answer to, is how does 5G play a role in this technology moving forward? And how relevant is 5G to what you're doing? So 5G plays a big role in the wireless wireless communication part of it. So the vehicle obviously should work even without wireless connectivity because if something happens to the link or anything like that, the vehicle should be self-contained and, and operate safely. Uh, so we don't like to take control out from, from that factor. But uh, 5G and has some very exciting potential in the um, vehicle-to-vehicle or vehicle-to-infrastructure, V2V, V2I, or V2X um, application. So a practical one that I like to think of is um, a vehicle going around a blind corner. Now, the onboard sensors won't be able to see anything around the corner, but we can place, say, a LiDAR um, out, out there that can see around the corner and because there's low latency in the 5G network uh, we can communicate pretty quickly what the LiDAR is seeing so that the vehicle is able to make a decision about what to do in that situation even though it can't directly see what's happening around a corner. Yeah, I sat in a vehicle that was doing one of those uh, tests as a sort of a, a, a tech demo we had a number, number of years ago with, uh, mm-hmm. with Ford. So yeah, it's really interesting to see how those, those things coming together. Are we starting to see uh, standards happening in that um, you know yep. vehicle to anything uh, so, yes. communications how's that so f- progressing so 5G isn't the only technology that's for vehicular communication uh, there's another one called 802.11p you may have heard of that's specifically for wireless uh, for vehicular environments um, the thing that I think 5G outperforms 802.11p or DSRC is that its business case isn't just centered around uh, vehicles. So there's uh, other businesses or other, other uh, sort of other sectors completely that can make use of that wireless technology. So rolling it out, you've sort of you're hedging your bets across a lot of different industries rather than just focusing on uh, vehicular communication. Now, if vehicular communication was really important to say a, a city or, or vehicle manufacturer, they can they can put in that um, wire, a DSIC or or something like that. However, it it creates. There's a lot of investment that needs to happen beforehand uh, before you see a real return on it um, in the long run. Whereas 5G um, is more an inevitability about uh, that's going to come about. 
but we're not exclusively sticking to one or the other. I mean, as an as a manuf- as a manufacturer, you want to be as agnostic as possible with what new technologies can come out in the future. I don't know what's happening next month. Uh, we the most we can do is uh, sort of work in a bit of an agile way and and make incremental steps towards the future. We know roughly where we want to be, but the path to that is covered in a lot of haze and fog. So we make our way slowly through it, and one day we'll get there. What does it look like for Omeo to you know be involved in developing this technology? There will be you know a, a large number of uh, entities that are working to compete with you in some way, yep. and of course a lot of the elements are available to mm-hmm. you know, everyone in terms of you know the electric vehicle uh, technologies continue to uh, develop batteries and so on, uh, lidars. The you know anyone can go and buy a lidar off yep. the, the shelf and so on. Um, but you've got your own story, and you know it, it's very you know uh, clear to me that you. You know, you're doing some uh, doing some great stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just about the technology. It's about all these other pieces. Working out uh, how people will interact with technology, uh, who you will partner with to make it happen. So you, even you know, competitors, yeah. we need to partner with competitors. So it's not. It's not just about us putting a product out that that sits there by itself. Uh, it's in everyone's interest to work towards a connected smart city. Absolutely. It's about making things better for everyone, and you can't do that unless you collaborate. Exactly. Dude, you're totally on my wavelength. Like, <laughs> so, seriously, that's fantastic. That's, that's what we need to do. Yeah. And if we, and the status quo that we've seen uh, in the autonomous shuttle space is it's very closed off and based around products and selling shuttles for single deployments and that sort of thing. Whereas we see that. Uh, the vehicle may be only about forty percent of the actual um, actual smart city. Yeah. Um, there's the infrastructure that you need to look at, and the management systems. Um, and the best wa- to, the way to get the best product we possibly can is get as much information as possible and share and yeah, learn from other people's mistakes exactly. and use their create. I this is exactly <laughs> what what I'm excited That's about. What, the, the whole reason we started is because we couldn't find someone who thought this way, who wanted to collaborate. So we if. Some someone had wanted to collaborate we would have stayed as an infrastructure company collaborating with that vehicle manufacturer now there are entities like uh, mobile eye nvidia and others that are um you know creating these pieces of technology are you leveraging so we use we use nvidia products inside our vehicles um there's mobile i'm i don't think we specifically have used mobile eye yet but the way we've built everything uh, we can integrate new sensors new technologies as we saw with 5g we were able to put that into our vehicle even though we've had no experience with it before right. so that's the way that we're working through things is by being agnostic and open to right. as much as much new technology because we don't know what's coming in the future so the best we can do is be open to working with whatever comes Right, so so by working with those sort of entities, you don't have to spend a billion dollars of R and D exactly. in house. You can leverage whatever the latest and greatest is that's that's at the forefront. Uh, Very much and, so. And, draw and that in. in turn, uh, if someone wants to develop a certain element of an autonomous vehicle, rather than investing a whole lot of money into building their own one from scratch, you'll share your knowledge with them. They'll they'll use our vehicle, and we've got an interface on there that allows them to integrate the part that they're interested. So what's your end goal? Because um, I have a vision of New Zealand becoming an absolute tech and innovation hub globally. Exactly. I mean, we're perfect, right? Yep. We are the right temperature. We are the right topography. We are the right population. So so what's what's your end game? Like, what's your absolute dream? Uh, good. <laughs> it's a good question. It's a really good question. Uh, well, we're wanting to at the... I think we... Uh, Having a really big dream is we'd like to we'd like to have our vehicles in as many places as possible mm-hmm. going into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's many dreams along the way, uh, like delivering the vehicle to Christchurch. Um, that's a that's a big dream <laughs> that we have at the moment. How, how are people at the airport reacting? Uh, they've the airport have been a really awesome partner to work with, um, and. I think they've got the exact right state of mind as to how to 
uh, integrate these new technologies into their into their systems. As as you know, uh, Christchurch Airport has a vision for 2040. So they're thinking 20 years ahead, or more than 20 years ahead, uh, as to what what role different technologies are going to play in the, in uh, in their airport, both as both as uh, air servicing airplanes, as a real retail centre, and as a real estate sort of hub. Uh, there's a lot of parts to being to being an airport, and they're they're also going on a learning journey as well. So rather than saying let's let's put this vehicle exactly between these these two places, they're saying let's get a vehicle and work slowly towards getting that full network around around the system rather than planning it out beforehand. Sort of, it's like classic waterfall um, project management versus. Um, Versus agile, like do you do you set up the plan all at the beginning and then that's what you deliver? Well, at that point you're you've already decided what you want before having experience with it. Whereas a more agile approach to it, where you have learnings that you take into account as you're slow as you're stepping through the changes incrementally, that's how you should be approaching new technology, and that's what we're seeing there. And it's very exciting uh, that we have a um, a partner that's that's thinking in that way yeah so in in that case with um in Christchurch International Airport you've done some sort of trials there but you're working on delivering basically a production uh vehicle to them is that that's the current situation so it'll be that first sort of that's the first one off the line yeah uh there may be some things that we need to work through with them but they are they are a fantastic partner to that uh understanding of that so they're helping us uh, not just within New Zealand but on a global scale in this case because this deployment will be an actual deployment that we can show other parties that may be interested in acquiring more vehicles as sort of a case study. Right. And so in terms of a, a ramp up for you, um, what are you looking for in terms of you know, partners around, around the world and you know, who would you see as other early um, customers or do you have others that, so are, that are lined up? And, uh, and a, sorry, you know. I forgot to answer that question before <laughs> that we went down a different thread. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, so uh, the main people, the main places that are looking at acquiring vehicles are mostly cities. So that's where a lot of uh, RFIs and RFPs are coming from. But also closed environments, we're getting a lot of interest in there. So airports, uh, not so much of the larger ones. Uh, the larger ones, um, like large cities, uh, like to stay conservative in their plans to, to roll out new technology. And that makes sense. Look, if, if something fails in a, in a larger airport, it fails on a massive scale. So what you do is you uh, do it on a smaller scale. So a place like Christchurch is perfect. Um, that, that city is, uh, is small enough to be agile, but large enough to have uh, very interest- interesting and complex um, infrastructure around it. And they're not afraid of disruption. Of course, uh, what happened in 2011 there disrupted the whole, the whole city, um, and it's still causing disruption to, the, to this day. However, with that comes the, because you've already been disrupted, then more disruption on top of that isn't as isn't as big of a step and so they've actually got an opportunity out of this which allows them to try new things that other people need to think a lot more about before trialing now one of the challenges that uh exists today for older people and you know we saw this one uh crop up in, in the UK uh, a little while back with uh, Prince Philip having a, a bit of an accident in his uh, Range Rover um, you know there, there, is a, there is this point in time where uh, yeah, uh, people tend to lose their ability to drive mm-hmm. on their on their own yep. um, is there, is there um, some services that you see for Omeo sort of fitting in with that particular audience and giving them a bit more mobility than what they have today? Definitely, we found the elderly have been very accepting of of the new <laughs> of autonomous vehicles, uh, which I mean the the preconception is that the elderly aren't are afraid of new technology. However, um, seeing autonomous vehicles allows them to 
I guess, imagine a future where their mobility and sense of independence is restored to an extent. And if you go back to the conversation um, at the beginning and you say when people experience it, it's not scary anymore. Exactly. So keep it simple, get them in, yeah. and then opinions change. So Very much so. So that's your they, they go from being this scary, sensationalized, strange thing that I can't imagine being part of my life to... Oh yeah, this is how it would. This is how it would. Um, yeah, and and I think you know, jumping into the uh, the an Omeo vehicle, um, one of the other things that makes that very easy for people is it's um, it's not a super fast vehicle. It's a little bit like um, I don't know, you know, jumping into a little a little yep, yeah, you know, that yeah. sort of sort of thing. It's just, I've, I've got little legs, but walking very slowly, uh, very very yeah. briskly. Yeah, I was able to I was able to keep up with it. Yeah. We limited the speed in this case because we're operating in mixed environments so we're able to go faster than that but we wanted it to be relatively comfortable if there was a uh, if there was an emergency stop as we saw during your ride mm-hmm. uh, there was a cone in the way uh, that someone had placed after we plotted out the route which caused an emergency stop and uh, I don't think it, it was it wasn't it wasn't too bad <laughs> it was it was a jolt but not too bad uh, we're also dealing with environments where uh, scooters are coming by and people are walking around and the traffic management people do their best but someone might slip through the cracks uh, and walk out in front of the vehicle so we wanted to make a sudden stop as comfortable as possible mm. while still uh, making the vehicle feel like it's going somewhere <laughs> Um, you also, uh, in our in our very first uh, conversation, you mentioned the fact that uh, you've already got a fully accessible pod, right? Do you call them pods? What do you What do you like to call them? Ooh, uh, they sh- they need a name. They're gorgeous. Right. They deserve to be uh, christened. So we've got the uh, we, we call them based on sort of model model names. So okay. we've got the Omeo Lift and the Omeo Hop. Mm-hmm. So the Hop was the one that you had a ride on now. Okay. But we've put a new shell over the top of it for this activation ah. uh, with. With spark, uh, just to make it look like look the way that they wanted it to look like. Mm, it's and it, very very futuristic. <laughs> it does. Look, I mean, when you take a picture of it, it still looks like a rendering. So I, it really does. Yeah, I actually, was showing a, <laughs> I was showing my partner, and she's like, "Is that real? No, like, is it that, actually is. That, it's very shiny, and there's some purple. It? Yeah, yeah, but it's, but, it's, it's uh, as it's, real as real. It's very very much real. But um, and and so it, you you're very able to chop and change um things out, but you do already have uh, access for people in wheelchairs and... Yeah, so that's th- that's also modular. So we can okay. add or remove access for people in wheelchairs. Why would you want to remove? Well, the base of the vehicle is where we keep all the, all, all the batteries, all the sensors. Basically, all the computers of the vehicle sit in what we call the flying carpet, which is just the base of the vehicle. And then the top is a cosmetic shell. What that allows us to do is, if we want to change the function of the vehicle, we just replace the shell at the top. Uh, but it also allows us to change things in the base as well. So if we want an uh, accessibility ramp, for example, uh, we just remove some of the components in there, maybe some batteries, and we put that we put that uh, ramp in there instead. And maybe you just want, say, 10% of your fleet uh, accessible to people in wheelchairs, and you request one of those if you need to, while the others will have the benefit of greater range or whatever other sensors you choose to to occupy the actual real estate in the base of the vehicle. So we can change things. Like if we deploy a vehicle indoors, uh-huh. we're not going to put a GPS on it. No. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a useless sensor in there. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking about exactly where they're going to be deployed, uh, how they're going to be used before we put them out. Um, if we're going to go to a cold climate, we'll put sensors in there that can go to, say, negative 20, negative 30 degrees Celsius. If we do that for every vehicle, the price shoots up uh, and there's no need to go that far. Um, and say, if you're putting a vehicle in, in Auckland. Mm. Now, other use cases outside of transporting people, transporting goods and so on, it yep. could be food deliveries, exactly. could be, I don't know, you know, goods around a, a large campus, those sorts of things. Uh, obviously, we've seen um, a lot of quite small, uh, you know, robots, we tend to call them within uh, factory environments mm-hmm. and uh, the likes of Amazon warehouses. Yep. Um, you see Omeo sort of fitting into some of those uh, scenarios? Scenarios or even a, yeah. sh- a shrinkage so, of the product down to so, you know some smaller variations. As I said, it's a platform, and we can shrink it as need be. It's the same platform that works on this vehicle is on our bigger ones as well. 
Uh, so we can change the size and the and I guess the exterior or the casing or the application of the vehicle as needed. We we don't pretend to know exactly how people are going to use autonomous vehicles going into the future. And they could very well... There's someone out there who's thinking of something completely different to do with autonomous vehicles. And if we limit our products by ourselves being the only ones who can determine how those vehicles are going to be used, then we're going to see... We, we have a lot less opportunity to, to roll out things. So it's very similar to a mobile phone. And I know that people compare things to phones all the time, and that's so... Uh, but I, I can't find a better... Uh, a bit of analogy where you've got a so say you've got your phone from your manufacturer they they create uh, the base platform which is able to call and text and connect to the internet um, those are the base functions the basic bare minimum that you expect from a mobile device however most of the most of the use that you get out of that device is actually third-party integrations. So your social media, bank accounts, and whatever else um, people use um, to, to ha- on, on, those, on those phones. Now, if, if Apple had said, we're not going to let anyone develop on the, on the phone, we're the only ones who can make applications for it, the app store becomes immediately much smaller and they're hamstrung by their own creativity and vision to the future. Whereas there's people out there creating things that Apple or Samsung or whoever's developing the phones hadn't even thought about. Um, But that's possible through it being a platform. So an autonomous vehicle at its base uh, goes where you tell it to go and doesn't hit things or people. That's what you expect out of the vehicle. But on top of that, there'll be all sorts of integrations uh, that... Uh, so you haven't even thought of yet, and you're ready for yet, them. I think that that's what you're getting at. That's yeah. that's awesome. We do have to wrap up, because we've got sure. an interview. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, how do you think today went? Uh, pretty happy with it. Yeah, uh, great. They, I mean, there's always unexpected bumps along the way, but it's... Uh, Everything worked as it as it should, and we're pretty happy with that. It's been pretty exciting to have the second, as far as I know, um, installation of five G in an autonomous vehicle in the world. So that's pretty good. Cool. Yeah, that's that's great. Now, <laughs> I think I think <laughs> I, I did some googling. <laughs> I only found one. That's cool. Now, looking at this sort of, I guess this you know ramping up of of Omeo's business and. Um, you know, there are obviously you know, people out there, entities out there that are that are looking uh, for autonomous platforms to, to choose and so on. Yep. And really, there is that challenge of how do you get noticed? Uh, how do you ensure that that you're uh, a relevant player? Sort of, you know, ten, ten years out from here, and you know, we see some fields where you were just talking about mobile platforms, and uh, you know, when when the iPhone came along, there were two predominant platforms at the time, uh, in BlackBerry and uh, Windows. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Symbian was sort of, you know, was st- still in there as well, but that was sort of, you know, the, the smart platforms. You know, we've ended up with all of those disappearing and being, uh, you know, basically Apple. And, and Google being the being the players, um, how, you know, what do you think are the things that will draw people to the Omeo platform and and really um, you know help you grow and be really relevant as a as a platform globally over these years ahead? I think our openness to considering uh, working with partners on an equal level is what sets us apart from a lot of our competitors. So um, that I think is the is the key point of difference here. Right. So anybody anywhere can approach you, and you will, you know, not be this huge conglomerate sort of looking down at them, saying, "Convince me." You will you will work, you know, coll- collaborate even, with them. Even if we do get to a point with with this huge conglomerate, I think there'll be an API or something that you can that we'll be able to release and work with work with people on integrating with so uh, it's that's what sets us apart with well, the, the last thing you want to do is introduce a new platform i mean then you need to get buy-in into it and and all sorts of, it becomes it, it adds a degree of complexity if there was a platform out there for us to use at the time we would have used it but there wasn't and so we went about uh creating the future we want to see 
That is, oh, that's a soundbite. <laughs> One more time for us. Uh, what were you, you went about? Uh, creating the future that we want to see. Oh, yeah, great. Okay, nailed uh, it. I think a, we can. I think uh, we can safely. Even think of that one that was time, really guys. beautiful, dude. <laughs> um, so yeah, well, thank you for inviting us today, no. and um, and you'll you'll be able to listen to yourself uh, <laughs> in a couple <laughs> of days. Hi, hi, future mama. <laughs> thank well. you so much. Yeah, cheers. Thanks very much. Well, great to hear from uh, Mahmood. Uh, without further ado, I think let's just jump straight into uh, to hear from Colin Brown uh, from Spark. Hi there. We're here at The Grid in Auckland uh, to get introduced to a very, very cool little piece of technology. Um, a collaboration between Omeo and Spark uh, took us for a ride around the viaduct, uh, not the viaduct, Winyard Quarter, and we are here with Colin Brown from Spark, and he can fill us in on a little bit of what's been happening today. Awesome. So, look, um, today we've uh, we've brought Omeo together with their um, driverless car, autonomous vehicle, um, and we've enabled that with, um, or we've put a 5G uh, modem in there, and that gives us the ability to upload and see um, what's actually happening on the car uh, and get some real-time feedback around the data that we're seeing uh, in terms of as we're driving around. Um, start to display some of the analytics off the car, see where it's going, look what the weather's doing, do all of that sort of stuff and actually um, present it onto a screen but but uh, also really just actually start to augment the uh, connectivity that the car's actually got with 5G. Yeah. Otherwise gorgeous. Um, so looking at the the autonomous sort of vehicles of which there will be a lot over the years ahead, um, it seems as though for them to work autonomously, that really has to that capability has to happen inside the vehicle, uh, because obviously, if you had a connectivity issue along the way, uh, you wouldn't want your vehicle to be stopping, crashing, or or otherwise. How important is it to be pulling in that outside data uh, on top of what the vehicle is able to do on its own, and how much data do you expect these vehicles to need to sort of push out in terms of you know what they capture, updating, you know, I guess sort of um, you know centralised stored mapping information and 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 so on. That's going to be pretty big, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's several aspects to this. So there's the you know there's the aspect of the autonomous vehicles. You really want a level of redundancy in terms of your network connectivity. So it's never going to be solely five. And it's probably never always going to be solely GPS. So, you know, adding that extra layer of connectivity in the future for 5G um, just gives it another added level of, of redundancy. But the um, in, in, in addition to that, some of the aspects that you talk about around uh, having to upload and download information around what's actually happening, uh, some of the, the technology to read the landscape, lead the obstacles, um, and at some point communicate with some of the smart city activities, the ability to actually understand is the traffic light coming um, the ability to actually understand what's happening with the car in front of them and and behind them uh, and have much more of that sort of real time interactive um, uh, interaction with the environment around it, 5G is going to be key for that, so that that what we talk about low latency, the response time from the time that something is sent from a device or or a a piece of equipment and the network to respond to that um, that ability to really shorten the loop in that communication channel is. Okay, I'm going to put that into normal people speak because I dumb things down. That's yeah. my job. <laughs> um, so 5G is integral for the V to I implications. So the vehicle to enter um, infrastructure implications. So yeah. so it's it's a very real and and V to V I guess V to V yeah yeah okay. so yeah so so if you can imagine um, the ability to interact with the world around it um, it needs to actually get a lot of information of what's actually which is happening. So five G uh, enables the ability to actually have that real time information, that upload of bandwidth, the ability to actually bring multiple sensors together in terms of a common environment. So that massive connectivity and short response time with huge amounts of data coming together kind of is quite integral to an autonomous vehicle. Mm. Yeah, I can see how yeah, the, the faster that communication is, the, the, the more uh, useful it, it becomes. Um, we also have this challenge in terms of the fact that we're using uh, mobile networks more and more, whether it's streaming video, yep. uh, live streaming information, yep. whether it's just capturing huge amounts of data and wanting to you know, f- you know, feed them up somewhere else, which is certainly something we expect of autonomous vehicles. And you know, I guess I'm looking for it from the perspective if I say go onto Google Maps and do a street view, the information can in some cases be years out of date. Mm. And so, you know, I'm kind of 
of look looking forward to you know the fact that you you know you'll actually be able to get how a street was you know maybe 15 minutes ago or something where you know as these dots get connected up a lot more rather than just you know some information that a that a special vehicle captured you know going around the streets you yeah. know x number x number of uh, years ago and and I see that certainly as a part of the potential of 5G isn't it because we're going to hit a wall aren't we in terms of what our 4G networks are uh, uh, capable of and then they start uh, you know s- slowing down at, at, at some point yeah well I think 3G and 4G is I mean if you think about the evolution of networks 3G was all about connectivity making a phone call on your mobile phone 4G was all about data social media video and, and bandwidth so what 5G brings to us is a is a is a massive step up in terms of capacity, a massive step up in terms of performance of the network, in terms of the ability to get the, the speeds that you need, uh, and the ability to connect multiple devices at the same period of time. So you do hit that kind of that ceiling within 4G, um, and with 5G you get a whole bunch of advancement, and not just the spectrum we use, the radio waves that we use, um, but the way that we uh, those those radio waves can actually um, detect the phone so there's a the, the what we call a much more active network actually understanding how do we actually bring much more efficiency to the network um, and a big part of, of 5g um, is what we call network slicing so how do you break your network up into different elements and provide the performance characteristics you need for different requirements of the services that you need so for an example an autonomous vehicle or virtual reality needs real low latency so that that super fast response time um, but for connecting millions of devices around um, around getting sensor information less so um, and so you and what you really want don't want to do is have competing demands between all of your electronic meters around the world competing with um, around the around the country competing with the low latency demands of an autonomous vehicle so you separate those functions within the network and give them their own network slice and, and characteristics to perform accordingly as the requirement goes and so you know 5g is not just about super speeds and more broadband it's about all of those things coming together at the at the radio network level but also in the core network level in terms of telecommunications. Right, so this is where we might ultimately see an ability to uh, buy connectivity in quite different ways than maybe we do today. So, you know, if you've got a little gadget, you know, we've got an audio recorder sitting here in front of us. Now, at some point, the data that's on that needs to get to another place. Um, look, I might be happy to have that connected for, I don't know, $5 a month just to know that whatever happens in that doesn't have to be uploaded this millisecond, but that that's actually just backed up off there. Uh, automatically, so if they had a SIM card, I'd be happy to pay a low amount because not urgent. But then I've got a—I don't know—we look across the room and there's a nice big 4K uh, touchscreen sitting there um, that probably ends up at all sorts of venues all over Auckland. And if that had uh, a SIM card embedded in it, um, you know, that probably costs a fair bit to hire. I, I imagine looking at the size of it and the stands that it's on and so on, um, you know, they might be willing to pay—I don't know one or two hundred bucks a month to make sure that wherever that lands it's going to get uh, you know able to stream whatever you know whatever is needed and then I guess a whole variance of services in between is that yeah bang on that I mean bang like on I mean I think you think um, uh, look one of the things we saw at Mobile World Congress was the rise of cloud gaming so you can imagine um, a paying a premium for low latency for your gaming because you know the ability to actually have response times from when you're pushing the trigger uh, and when somebody gets shot or yeah, turns the corners yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lost too. lost them to Fortnite yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. Um, so you can imagine that latency is actually really quite important but yeah. for somebody who's probably just doing uh, backup photos of their photos that they've taken which doesn't have to be live stream may just pay for a, a lower data stream which actually doesn't actually so have those ag- demands again to dumb it down because we got to wrap up really quickly um, you're like you're making it accessible to have mission critical yeah. functionality and you're making that easy so yeah. you pay like potentially you pay for what you need and then you don't get all this other stuff yeah yeah so basically you can you can offer differentiations of of quality of service on the on the network so you may have mission critical at a, at a premium rate which is at a premium sort of um, uh, service yeah, but then you might actually have look just a low grade performance but you still get access to the network and, and that's okay so you can actually right. manage it and would that potentially you know when I look on uh, 
a lot of devices today you've got to don't you know don't do this over the mobile network do it over wi-fi would we potentially have a, a, a position where you know you're on a plan that has some fast data and it and it has slow data I, you know i guess i could compare it for you know those that remember uh varying you know home internet plans you oh look yeah. you get you know 50 50 gigs during sort of peak hours but there's you know 200 gigs you could use overnight or something so that you can drip feed that stuff in in a, in a manner that's um, you know not not uh, weighing down the network but the urgent stuff still still gets through in an absolutely. individual plan. You can absolutely yeah. sort of see that going going that way and you can kind of see a time when 5G maybe disrupts Wi-Fi because um, you know Wi-Fi is effectively it's a bold claim but I guess if you're looking at it as a bit of a futurist you could think well effectively Wi-Fi uses um, a backhaul network which yep. is either a copper or a fibre in some instances the wireless broadband network so you can kind of see you know at a point in time where everything's got a sim in it that you know 5g could disrupt wi-fi that so. is a very cool okay so um we're going to wrap this up and i'm going to ask you i'm going to put you on the spot i'm going to ask you what your favorite bit of today was oh being in the car it's pretty cool eh? <laughs> it's the first time i was in it today so it was actually so it's really good. awesome the, the shell is amazing i yeah. mean spark has really yeah. it, it looks like a rendering it looks yeah. like a computer like sort of C- cgi rendering and it's just stunning yeah no the the the, the team have done a fantastic job That's the network team's done an awesome job but also Omeo have got some amazing technology but also our, our partners around the marketing department have done a fantastic job as well so good yeah thank you thanks very much Colin that was great thank you alright cheers well that wraps us up for the show this week thank you everybody for listening in to the New Zealand Tech Podcast now of course you can uh, you can follow us online on social media you can uh, you can track me down across the varying uh, platforms uh, feel free to connect with me and uh, or ping me a message on LinkedIn um, Paul Spain on uh, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and on Twitter, and uh, you even find me from time to time on uh, Instagram, posting some uh, photos of latest uh, tech bits and pieces. So, uh, so that's us for this week. If you'd like to support the show, uh, then uh, you can uh, follow support us on um, on our Patreon platform. Just go to nztechpodcast.com uh, slash support. And we are soon to open up some sponsorships. So if you're interested in uh, in finding out any any details uh, about how uh, how you can support the news that uh, and opinions that we uh, we bring on the show uh, to uh, to New Zealanders, then uh, feel free to get in touch. And of course, um, anyone that's listening in is welcome to email me at any time. Uh, you can reach me via my website at paulspain.com, uh, or you can email me paul.spain at gorillahq.com. All right. Thanks, everyone. Catch you on the next show next week. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.